Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Much, worship team. This is one of those weeks I wish I was singing with the worship team. You guys let me sing a little bit at the end, so thank you. Like I said, we've been talking about hope for several weeks. Maybe I exaggerated with the 287 number. But for the last three months, we've been doing this series on building hope. And what better time in the middle of a pandemic and hopeless situations out there to be talking about hope this morning. Guys, give me a second. I'm so excited. For those of you that don't know, I am the self-proclaimed. Self-proclaimed because I just call myself this, but the hope girl. And I've been sitting on the edge of my seat every week while everybody, our amazing teachers and pastors and preachers in this church, have been talking about hope. But I have been sitting there every week on the edge of my seat waiting for my turn to talk about hope. Does anybody have, like, something that they think is, like, the anthem of their life. If it was for me, it would be hope. I know. I'm looking at you guys out there. Even with your masks on, I can tell that you're just straight-faced this morning because maybe hope isn't your anthem, but it's mine, and I'm excited this morning. Um, We've talked week after week, and we've been building hope in all of us week after week, and I want to start off this morning, if I can, with my favorite scripture in the whole Bible about hope. Okay, I have a lot of favorite scriptures. Depending on what I'm talking about, I'll usually pick my favorite on the subject matter, and today it's definitely um, my favorite scripture on hope. If you can turn to Romans chapter 4, and we're going to read quite a few verses here. Verses 16 through 25 starts off saying, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed that God, believed in the God who, what I just said, brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. And here's my favorite verse in the whole passage. Even when there was no reason for hope, what did Abraham do? He kept hoping. I hope you're reading along this morning. Believing that God would become, believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. I love that his faith never wavered, and because even before the promise was fulfilled, he brought glory to God just by believing what God had said. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Almost done here. Verse 23, and when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit that it was recorded. It was recorded for our benefit too. I love that. Week after week, we've talked about hope, and it's building up hope on the inside of us. But now it's our turn, you guys. It's that hope that we've been giving is not just for our own benefit. God, for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Abraham's story was not just written for his own benefit. Isn't that great? Generation after generation has heard about Father Abraham. Generation after generation has heard the story of the hundred-year-old man that was promised a child. Made no sense. But did you see how God honored Abraham's faith and honored his word to Abraham not just so that Abraham would be blessed, but we could be blessed, amen? And some of us are going through difficult times and hard things in our life, and your story is not just for your own benefit. 
It's for the benefit of others. So while we've been hearing week after week about hope and building ourselves up in hope, this week we're taking a little bit of a transition on the concept of hope. And we're not just talking about building up hope within ourselves, but we're talking now this week about unleashing hope in our community. We're talking about unleashing hope in the people that are surrounding us. I want to start off this morning with just a little story so you guys can get to know me a little bit better. When I was eight years old, I grew up in a small town in Iowa. And when I say small town, I mean small town. When I moved to California in middle school, that middle school just had seventh and eighth graders, and there were just as many students in that school as I had in my entire town that I had lived in growing up. There were a 1,000 people in the little town of Earlham, Iowa. And in the summers in Earlham, Iowa, the only thing the kids had to do, because there was no internet, there weren't computers, there definitely weren't cell phones. Um, we had televisions, yes, and they were color, okay? They weren't black and white televisions, but they were color TVs, but they had, we had no cable. So we had like the three or four network channels. So kids weren't really inclined to stay inside and watch TV during the day. So we played outside, all the neighborhood kids. And it was, it was beautiful because there were no fences around people's yards. Everybody was spaced out and all the kids ran through everybody's yards. And nobody, you know, everybody knew everybody. Every mama knew everybody's kid, okay? Every dad knew everybody's kid. Every neighbor knew every other neighbor. We'd do barbecues together. We'd hang out together. But during the daytime, in the middle of the summer, all the neighborhood kids would just get to, I shouldn't even say neighborhood, because there was only one neighborhood. It was Earlham, Iowa. That was the neighborhood. We'd all get together. We'd play, and we usually we'd play sports. We'd play kickball. We'd play baseball. We'd do a little basketball, sometimes football. But in the summer, it was almost always baseball. And... One day, I remember wanting to be outside, and so I went with my brother, my older brother, and we organized a game of baseball, because behind our house was an open field, and we could just have at it. Nobody's windows were going to get broken, nothing like that. So as I mentioned, my brother was a little older, and all the kids in the neighborhood, it didn't really matter what age you were, we all just kind of hung out together. So they decided, since I was the little sister in the game that I was gonna play catcher. I'd never played catcher before, but I had watched people play catcher and I was like totally fine. I knew what I, I, knew what I was doing. I played baseball for the last, th- you know, my whole childhood. The pitcher was on the pitcher's mound. I was behind home plate in the position, ready to catch the ball. He wanted to warm up. Did I mention that the pitcher was like a high schooler? And I was eight, third grade. Assuming that a high schooler would know that a eight-year-old might, you might need to take it a little easy on the eight-year-old for him to warm up. I think he forgot or he didn't know. His mama didn't teach him. He only did, he was a family of only boys. Um, All I remember after the first pitch was I don't remember getting hit. I don't remember falling to the ground. I don't remember getting up from the ground. I don't remember running halfway into the house, but where it picks up is halfway to my front door. I remember I'm running and screaming, and I'm, I'm going like this. I've got my arm in front of me, and I look down, and of course, there's a pool of blood on my arm, and in that pool of blood is this long white thing just sitting in the blood. I'd never seen a tooth come out where the root came out with it. Like only part of a tooth you see as an eight-year-old is the the half of the tooth that you see. You never, I didn't know. I wasn't sure what it was. And I was afraid to put my tongue up at the roof of my mouth to figure out if it was a missing tooth or anything. So my mom and dad are just pulling into the drive. It's a Saturday. They've been to the grocery store. And my mom meets me at the door. We go inside. She takes me into the bathroom, sets me on the toilet seat, gets a rag, a wet rag up there to, to stop the bleeding. And she's so calm. And I'm just thinking, woman, why aren't you freaking out more? But she put on her mom hat and she was calm and collected and sweet and all the things that moms are in those moments. And I can remember her just grabbing my cheeks, you know, with this big rag in my mouth and her just looking at me and saying, oh, honey, this is the worst thing that ever happens to you. You are going to be one blessed young lady. And I feel like 
That's what the Lord's been saying to us as his children these last six weeks by infusing us with these messages about hope. Like, stop looking just at what's happening right now. This is a blurp on the map. It's, it's just a moment in time. And it's not always gonna be like this. And if this is the worst thing, honestly, that ever happens to you, you're gonna be blessed. You're gonna be okay. And so I believe that the Lord's just been taking these last several weeks to encourage us, to build up our hope. But now it's time for us to transition a little bit. It's time for us to stop just holding the hope to and keep hoarding it to ourselves and give a little hope out, amen? And so we're gonna talk about this morning how to unleash hope. You know, Pastor John, he preached a great message to the fathers last week on Father's Day. Um, but one of the things that stuck out to me that he was talking about, you know, he's, he's an awesome pastor, you guys. He pastors his church. He loves the church. He loves all of us. He loves doing ministry here. But he made it very clear that his first ministry is in his home to his wife to his children, as it should be, and we should all be supportive of that. But when it comes to unleashing hope, the first place we should be unleashing it is in our homes. Whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we have kids, whether we don't, the people that are immediately close to us, that's where, we should, that's where our first ministry should be. It's not just Pastor John. He's just setting the example. Like, look, this is my first ministry. Look, this is our first ministry. So if you're married today, I want to take just a minute to talk to the married couples. And we're not only talking to married couples today. This is just the first part of it. But I want to talk to you about how to unleash hope in your marriage. And I want to start with a scripture in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, in the Amplified. says this. We're just going to read the first part here. Let marriage be held in honor. Is that immediately what you think about when you're thinking about your spouse these days? Are you holding them in honor? Or are you just like when, when they walk through the door, like, hey, um, there's just something in the kitchen for dinner, you know, or uh, we already ate. I don't know about you. What, what's going on? Is that honor? Are we, it's let marriage be held in honor, esteemed worthy, precious, of great price, and especially dear in all things. I know it's hard but in your marriage, living for Jesus and living with hope, that's gonna make all the difference in the world. It's hard for us to have hope in our marriage when we look at the statistics. When we look at the world around us and how careless typically people are and the way they talk about their spouses oftentimes, not in all cases, but even as it's portrayed in television, in movies, in everything about marriage, about their spouse, it's real easy to take marriages for granted, but it's also really difficult for those that are wanting to marry or in a difficult marriage at this time, to have a lot of hope because the, the, the statistics are this. 50% of all marriages end in divorce, and it might even be a little higher than that. These are a little bit, a few years old statistics. We all know that one. But did you know that there are 6,646 divorces every day? Every single day. This is in the United States. 41% of marriages end in, 41% of first marriages end in divorce. And it just keeps increasing from there. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. And 73% of third marriages end in divorce. Sounds pretty, you're like, Jenny, where's the hope? Like, that sounds a little hopeless. But don't forget, a few weeks ago, Pastor Kaya preached an awesome message Hope is the antidote for hopelessness. Hope is the greatest antidote against the toxic forces that are destroying American homes. And marriages, the thing is, we've got to unleash some hope into these situations. Any marriage, you guys, we've got to leave here knowing that any marriage can be stronger. Any marriage can thrive again. Any marriage can be repaired. And when hope enters into your marriage, it brings all the possibilities that things could change. We've got to unleash some hope. It's our job. So how are we going to do that this morning? Real quickly, we're going to go through three steps on how to unleash hope in your marriage. Number one, give up on unrealistic expectations. I'm sorry, ladies. I know all the Disney movies, all the fairy tales we read, they go through all these difficulties before they actually get together and they're able to get married. And then all it says is, and they lived happily ever after. 
And the problem with thinking that marriage is always going to be smooth sailing is that when the storms come, we're not prepared. And so then we get hopeless because we haven't prepared for like, whoa, what is this? He used to get me coffee every single morning. Now he doesn't even make coffee. I've got to get up and make it myself. What has happened? I'm not making light of the serious issues that people have encountered in their marriage. But listen, if you can unleash just a little bit of hope, all of a sudden there's the possibility, because the problem with hopelessness is that we think no matter what I do, nothing is ever gonna change. But that's not true. If we'll just unleash a little bit of hope, it can change everything. (laughs) A lot of times we get married at a young age and we think, he is just the female version of me. And she is just the, or no, yeah, he's just the male version of me. She's just the female version of me. And look, you might think you're compatible, but let me tell you something right now. Every marriage is made up of two imperfect and flawed people. We live in a broken world. None of us are perfect. And the thing is, who you are at 20 years old is not who you're, hopefully is not who you're going to be at 30 years old. And who you are at 30 is not who you're going to be at 40. The goal is to grow together. The problem is, as we grow and we change, which is just a natural part of life, then we start going, oh, wait, we're not compatible. But the thing is, nobody's compatible. Everybody is different. And if the two of you think the same way about every single thing in your life, one person is not necessary in the relationship. We're meant to change and to grow and to challenge one another. But realizing that nobody is, that life is never gonna be perfect and being prepared for the storms when they come. Hope-based people believe that the marriage is what you make it. It's not about all the problems that come and the circumstances that change and all of those things. All it's about is that if you have hope, you just believe that, you know what, this marriage can be better because I'm gonna make it better. I'm gonna do better. We have all the power to make the change. Number two, give up focusing on yourself. The key to having a good marriage is really simple. Marriages that you give attention to, they grow. And the ones that you neglect, those are the ones that fall apart. Marriages suffer when we neglect one another. The issue of marriage is not incompatibility. The issue is really selfishness, stubbornness, unwilling to compromise, unwilling to change, unwilling to work at the relationship. We gotta stop calling it incompatibility and call it what it is. It's self-centeredness. It's not all about being different. It's about being too focused on myself. We need to infuse some hope into our husbands, ladies. Husbands, we need to infuse some hope into our wives. We need to allow and give the possibility that things are gonna change. And number three, we gotta refuse to give up. Hopeless people believe that that nothing's gonna work. No matter what I do, nothing's gonna change. But look at Abraham. Oh, everything said, no, absolutely not. You are not going to have a kid at 100 years old. How is that even possible? But God said, and God made you a promise the day that you got married. He said, marriage is ordained of God, that your marriage is blessed. And if we can hold on and look past the circumstances and what we're dealing with in the moment and look to him and and focus on the words that he spoke, just like Abraham did, no matter how, how hopeless your situation looks, I refuse to give up. That's the commitment that we made. That's why we said for richer or for poorer. That's why we said in sickness and in health, in good times and bad times, at all times, we're not gonna give up on this. I mean, maybe your family tree looks like a family tree full of divorces. You might not look back and go, I don't see any couple that stayed married on my family tree, unless we go maybe way far back. But in the recent generations, every aunt, every uncle, every parent, every grandparent, all divorced, maybe it's time to chop down your family tree and start building a new tree, start growing a new tree where it's marriage after successful marriage after successful marriage. But it starts with you. And it starts with just letting out, letting go of a little hope. Amen? I want to talk to you also about how to unleash hope in your children. I know not everybody has children in here. I know that many want to have children. Maybe you'll never have children, but listen, it works in any important relationship that you have, these same keys. But I want to talk to you about why it's so important to unleash hope in the lives of our children, okay? Third John chapter one, verse four, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Let me tell you why it's so important, parents. 
If you are a parent in this room or you ever want to be, listen right here, right now, why it's so important that we take our responsibility seriously as the hope givers to our children. Why it's important to unleash hope. Every eight seconds during the school year, a high school student drops out. Every eight seconds during the school year, a high school student is dropping out because they got hopeless. They thought it's never gonna be different. It's never gonna change. So why bother? Why bother putting forth the effort? Every 47 seconds, a child is abused or neglected. Every three minutes, a child is arrested for a drug offense. Hopelessness, guys. Every seven minutes, a child is arrested for a violent offense. And here's the most devastating of all the statistics. Every six hours, a child commits suicide. Every six hours, a child is feeling so hopeless that they kill themselves. Anybody see why it's so important to unleash hope in our children? It's our, when I hear those statistics, it makes me mad. And it makes me vigilant. Like, if, if I do anything, if I'm able to instill anything into my child, there's lots of good things that we need to unleash into our children's lives. But man, I feel like when I read these, these statistics, that the most important thing that I can do as a parent is to unleash hope into my child's life. So they don't get to the point where they see they feel so hopeless that things are never gonna change. All they can see is what's happening around them in the moment to the point where they become so hopeless that they become one of these statistics. Like if there's any job that I've gotta do as a parent, I've gotta teach my child to hope. I've gotta teach my child to know that yeah, it might be hard right now. And you might be sad right now. You might be disappointed right now, but it's not going to always be this way. Look ahead instead of looking at what is right now. We've got to unleash some hope in our homes, you guys. They've got to see us doing it with our, our spouses, and then we've got to do it with our children. There's a lot of things about this, and I want to, I want to get on and move farther in this message this morning. Are you guys here today? Are you listening? It's not a little thing. It's like, oh, hope. Oh, that's such a nice word. No, it's, it's real. I don't ever want my kid to feel so hopeless that they, the, only decision they, the only choice they can make is to kill themselves. Or I don't care about my future anymore, so I'm just going to drop out of school. What's the point? I'm not getting good grades anyway. I'm probably not going to pass, so I'm just going to give up. I don't want my child to ever get to that point. And here's the thing. There are three stages to parenting, and I'm not going to get into detail about each of them, but in the beginning, stage one is direction. Mm. Let me read the scripture. Psalm 127, verses three and four. It says, children are a gift of the Lord. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children... Of, our, of one's youth, the children of one's youth. So we've got this arrow. Our Lord has blessed us with children, and we've got this arrow in our hand now, each child. And the first stage of parenting is direction. And that's where we're picking up the arrow and we're aiming it. Direction stage, we're spending a lot of time giving instructions and just telling our kids what to do. Like, don't touch that, it's hot. Wash your hands. Wash your hands again. Like right now, that's the big one. Wash your hands, sing happy birthday twice while your hands are under the water, you're washed. Warm water, wash your hands. You're giving a lot of direction. Pick up your toys. Take your plate to the trash can. You know, it's constant. Every day is about direction. But then we move, as your children get older, we move into the stage where we're starting to pull the arrow back because we're getting ready. At some point, you're gonna release that arrow. But you've gotta go through all the stages, Okay picked it up, we're aiming at it, we've given lots of direction to our children at this time. Stage two is motivation. That's when we're drawing the arrow back, getting ready to shoot it. Motivation is like, okay, your kid's a teenager now and telling them you shouldn't have to be every day. Okay, put your plate in the trash can, wash your hands, sing happy birthday twice to yourself while you're under the water. Like, 
at this point, we're motivating our kids. Because a lot of times, giving a lot of direction, you're gonna get the opposite effect of what you really want. Now you're hoping that all the things that you've taught them, now you're just gonna motivate them when they're on their own to make the right decisions. And the third stage of parenting is when you release the arrow. I know I don't really know how to do archery, you guys. I did watch the Hunger Games, though, so I know a little bit about shooting an arrow. Okay, none of you have watched the Hunger Games. All right. Um, and I'm not here, I'm not the expert on parenting. I've just been doing it for two years now. But I've watched a lot of other people do it, and we have amazing teachers. So the biggest thing that I'm trying to instill to you just in this one moment of time on a Sunday morning is the importance and the value of unleashing hope in your children's lives. Like you're gonna hear it over and over again. Hope is not just meant to be for ourselves and we have a job, we have an obligation, a responsibility. You know, every day now when Imani, she starts every sentence with, when the sickness is over, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go play with my friends. When the sickness is over, I'm gonna go back to the park and play on the play structures. When the sickness is over, we're gonna go jump on the jumpalines. That's what she calls it, the jumpalines. Because we've unleashed some hope in her that everything's not going to be the way that it is right now. And it's almost like she's to the point where she's not even bothered that she can't do all these things because she knows down the road she's going to get to do it again. I know it's a little thing, but man, how much more with our teenagers do we need to be doing that? Because here's the thing, as our kids get older, we've got to get a lot better about not just reaching, reaching them with their heads, but reaching into their hearts. They start resisting it at a certain point because they're trying to assert their own independence. It's like, we gotta be better at reaching their hearts. One of the ways we do that is unleashing some hope in them. Amen. The third way we're gonna unleash some hope, you guys, and this is for everybody in the room this morning, we need to unleash hope in our community. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that's really community oriented and focused, but I want to start off by talking about how the church is going to do that. And when I say the church, I don't mean Pastor John and Kaya Butcher. I mean us, like the collective, everybody in this room, we are the church. It's not just one leader or a couple leaders or that. No, it's us. It's everybody. Point to yourself. Okay, point to yourself. We're giving a little direction-based parenting right now. Okay, everybody point to themselves. It's, I am the church. We say it every stinking week, you guys. We don't want you to just come to church. We want you to become the church. So let's see what the, the early church looked like, because I'm telling you, we want to be like them. Did you know that every single day somebody was getting saved and being added to their church every single day? I mean, let's be honest. Let's be lucky if we have one in a week. I want to be like this church. What did they do? Here's what they did. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47 says this. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. This sounds so pleasant. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So many lives were changed in the early rise of the church. So many lives. And when we have a church that's focused on Christ and fueled by hope, it's the most powerful force in the world. We can be just like that early church, seeing people saved day in and day out, or seeing multiple people come to know the Lord every time we come together. You've heard it week after week that the church is the hope of the world. The only way we're going to be the hope of the world is if we're unleashing some hope into the world. If they see us and they see a hope-filled church. But see, nobody is interested in being a part of a church when they see us attacking one another. When you've got one, pastor, one pastor complaining about another pastor because they're opening up their church building during a pandemic. When you've got one pastor that's saying, Why, where's your faith? Why aren't you opening up your church building during a pandemic? They see the church disagreeing all the time. They see all the things that the church is against. What are the things that we're for? 
They were known for the things that were against, and why would anyone want to be a part of it when we're supposed to be known for love? We're supposed to be known for our joy, for our hope, all the things that Jesus provides to us through salvation. But we're too busy attacking one another. It's time to unleash some hope. And I'm so thankful for the Building Christian Fellowship. I'm so thankful for our to encourage other churches, to encourage other pastors, to be supportive of one another. We don't have to do everything exactly alike. Not everybody is supposed to go to just one church. We're supposed to reach the people that we're supposed to reach, and the other church is supposed to reach the people that they're supposed to reach. Like, there's got to be a place for everyone. Why are we busy focusing on the things that are different? We have so much more in common than we have different. But we're focused on the differences. The starting point for anybody that's out in our world that's looking for hope is to begin to believe that God has better days ahead. And that's our job in the midst of this where everything looks so dark and gloomy is for us to be saying, it's not always gonna be like this. God has better days ahead of us. Hold on, baby, hang in there. The pain is gonna end. The pandemic will come to an end or things will change and we'll figure out a different way to move, but God has better days ahead of us. And here's the thing that's even better to know. Even if things never go back to normal, even if we continue to have struggles and hard times, and we're going to. Jesus, he told us, it's not a secret. In this world, you will have trouble. I don't know where we thought that everything was always gonna be smooth. As soon as I gave my life to Jesus, I'm gonna have smooth sailing for the rest of my life. But I was one of those people as a young person that for whatever reason believed that. And then I grew up and matured and experienced life and realized it's not like that. And even if things never go back to the way they were, we still have hope because we have the hope of glory living on the inside of us. Hope is not just a feeling. Hope is talked about a lot in the world. And we get our hopes up because we got this new job or we got into the school that we wanted to go to or, you know, we got the raise that we needed or I got this new car. And we get our hopes up for things because of something someone says or something someone does. And then just to be disappointed later when it doesn't work out the way we thought it was going to. Listen, the hope that Jesus gives, it never disappoints. And I'm going to read it to you in God's word. Here's the thing, because hope is not a feeling. Hope has a name. Hope is a person. It's Jesus. And he is with us. He's promised to never leave us and never forsake us. So no matter what the circ- how the circumstances change around us, Jesus is still with us. Whether we're in the valley, in the darkest moments of our life, or whether we're celebrating up on the mountaintop, the hope is with us. Jesus is with us. You know, I remember as a child growing up in the Midwest, we had regular thunderstorms every spring, every summer. I'm sorry, California people, that you've never had the chance to really experience a real thunderstorm because it's pretty exciting and it's pretty fun. At the same time, it can be really scary because everybody knows that with a thunderstorm, there's the potential that you could have a tornado. Y'all had earthquake drills growing up in school. I had tornado drills growing up in school where we'd track all the little kids down to the basement of the school. And if there was a real tornado warning, I remember times sitting down there for hours in a cramped room, Indian style on the floor, cold, hard floor. Some of you are nodding because you know what it's like for hours. Thankfully, we never had a tornado cross or come down in our town, but they had, we'd had plenty of warnings along the time while I was still in school. But as a kid, there's something exciting about a thunderstorm. Because it's kind of fun to watch the lightning strike in the sky and then wait. Because, you know, at some point, the thunder's going to boom. And usually, the lightning would strike, and then you'd start counting. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three, boom. And supposedly, the shorter time there was between the lightning and the thunder was told you how close the storm was to you. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not a meteorologist. But that's what we thought as kids, and maybe it is true. But the whole thing was, I was great. We, we literally watched thunderstorms for entertainment. We'd sit out on the front lawn, and we'd watch them off at a distance. Iowa is a very flat place. There's not hills like you see all around you here in the Bay Area and all that. It's very flat, so you can see for miles and miles and miles. So you can watch a thunderstorm. You don't have to be afraid because it's not really that close. So it was like entertainment. It was kind of fun. As long as I was sitting with my mom and my dad and my brother and maybe other family members or neighbors were sitting out there too. But when it was time for bed and I was in my bedroom alone, 
The, thunder, the thunderstorm was no longer fun. It was scary. Because then it was like, there's nobody around me to protect me. But I knew what to do. I was a smart kid. I picked up my blankie and my teddy bear, and I walked down the hallway to my parents' room and snuggled in like Bonnie does to Lionel and I, right in between us in the bed. And all of a sudden, I was <sighs> relieved because I knew I was with somebody who was bigger than me, someone who was greater than me, someone who was stronger than me, and someone who was a lot smarter than me. So I felt safe. Even though none of my circumstances had changed, that thunderstorm was still right outside my door. It reminds me of the story of the disciples when they were on the, the boat in the middle of the storm, and they're all freaking out because the storm's about to capsize them, and they forgot that someone bigger than them, stronger than them, smarter than them, greater than them, was sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And that's how some of us, Jesus was right there in the middle that he's promised us that he'll go through it all with us. We don't have to be alone. The hope of glory is with us in every moment, including a pandemic. Did we forget who's sleeping in the boat beneath us? Someone greater than you, someone smarter than you, someone stronger than you is right there going through it with you. So why are you afraid? Whew. God does not disappoint. Romans chapter five, verses three through five, the NLT, it says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us and develop endurance. Problems and trials are actually good for us. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Verse five, here it is. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. The kind of hope that God gives does not lead to disappointment. It doesn't mean that everything's gonna work out the way you planned it. It just means in the end, he will not leave you disappointed. For we know how dearly God loves us. And that sums it up right there. We can stop right there. We can close the book and go home right now. If we understand how much God loves us, think about how much you love your children and how much you would never let anybody hurt them. Father God, uh, we're evil by nature and we want good things for our kids. He's good by nature. Imagine how he feels about us. It's like, okay, I'm letting you go through this so you can build some endurance. And then afterwards, you're gonna be stronger than you were before. But if we're too busy in the middle of the problem complaining about the problem, we'll never build the endurance that we need to face the next thing that's gonna come because he promised us, he told us, you're gonna have trouble in this world. But he also told us to be of good cheer. The hope of the world, you guys, the hope of glory lives on the inside of us. Woo. Don't forget who's in the boat with you. Don't forget who's in the pandemic with you. Don't forget who's with you in the middle of your job loss, your sickness, whatever you might be experiencing. The difficulties in your marriage, the difficulty with your children. This isn't where it ends. This is not where it ends. There are so many more chapters left to be written in your story so that your story can be unleashed to the world so that generation after generation are still talking about how mommy and daddy overcame the pandemic of 2020. And they taught us that, you know what, it might look this way right now, but it's not always gonna be this way. Come on, we gotta be doing that for our communities, the people we come in contact with. I don't know how people live in this day and age without Jesus. I really don't know. I would be hopeless too. We've got the hope. We've got to unleash it. It's not just meant for us to keep it stored up with inside of us. And when the church is full of hope, four things happen. This is what a church full of hope looks like. Number one, they're not afraid to take risks. Come on, guys. we got to live by faith and not by sight. Like maybe in the past you were afraid to share the good news with somebody else because you're worried about what they might think of you. Listen, during this pandemic, lots of people are walking around hopeless and full of fear. They're open to hear what you have to say. Let's walk, let's do some things differently. Let's take some risks. Let's do some things we've never done before. A church that's full of hope, they're not afraid to give sacrificially. I mean, it's, it's crazy to me that just as we finished mostly building this new church building, we can't even come together and enjoy it together. And yet, our church, you've been faithful in the middle of a pandemic where people have take, taken pay cuts and lost jobs, businesses have folded, and you've continued, continued to show your generosity. 
because we know that it's not always going to be, the doors are not always going to be closed. And here's the thing. Once the world, little by little, starts opening up more and more, it's not going to look like this in this room. We're not going to have enough seats to fit everybody even right next to each other. Revival is coming. And so we've continued to give sacrificially because it's like, I have hope. It's not always going to be this way. So I got to make sure my church is ready for when the revival comes. We've got to be prepared. So I got to keep giving. I can't stop. The church is still ministering to me. Like, I got to keep giving. I feel like some people, it's like that, it, you know, that fighter rises up in you and it's like, oh, oh, devil, okay. I'm going to lose my job. Well, I'm going to give even more. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I took a pay cut. I'm going to still keep giving the same amount of tithe as I was before and just figure out how to learn because I can't go out to restaurants and eat right now anyway. My money might as well go somewhere where I'm being fed. Whew, that is a church of hope. That's the Building Christian Fellowship. I love it. Number three, they're not afraid to share their faith. A church full of hope is not afraid to share. Come on, the righteous are as bold as lions. You guys, you're bold as lions. And number four, they're not afraid to try new things. Every church has had to figure out how to make this pandemic work to where we can still be ministering. I mean, there's gonna be lots of changes in the future, you guys. Things are gonna come at us again. In this world, we're gonna have trouble and we're gonna figure it out. We're not afraid to try new things. I wanna be a part of a church like that and I, that, that's impacting our community. That's why we love it here. That's why my family and I love to come here because we're not just a church in the city of Sassoon. We're a church for the city of Sassoon. I don't wanna be like other churches and this is not a judgment, it's just the facts. I don't want to be like another church that, had, you know, during this pandemic, a lot of churches have just completely closed down to never reopen again. And sad to say, in their community where they're at, they may never be missed because there was no connection between the church and the community that they were in. I want to know if the building, heaven forbid, if the building ever had to close their doors, that the community would miss us. They'd go around finding Pastor, Pastor Butcher's to be like, uh, we'll give you any building you want. We just need your church back, you know? I want to leave that kind of an impact in my community. And it's up to all of us. It's up to all of us. No two people can do it by themselves. It's time we grab arms, not physically, because we got to be six feet apart, okay? But you know what I'm saying? In the spirit, our arms are linked together, making and unleashing hope in our police department, hope in our government, hope in the neighborhoods, hope in the schools. Woo! We're gonna be the church, not just come to church. Like if all we do is come to church and get filled every week, filled every week with hope, the last seven weeks filling us up with hope, 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 all we're doing is getting fat. We need to take some of the things that we've been storing up and start spreading it out in our community. It starts with our homes, and it starts with the people in our neighborhoods, and it spreads out into our community. We are the church. This building is not our church. This pandemic has proved that we can still be a church without a building. You are the church. I am the church. Pastors are the church. Raquel is the church. Isaiah is the church. Jackie, you're the church. Atira, you're the church. Margo, the church. Ariel, you're the church. Lakeisha, you're the church. Ben, you're the church. We are the church. I'm tired of being part of a church where we're just leaving it up to a few 20% of people to do 80% of the work. We all have a responsibility. I've hesitated to share this, but it's been on my heart for weeks now. Lionel and I, have a passion to be givers. And I think, I don't know how much we've given to the entire building fund or to this church over the years. And it's not important because there's people who's given more and there's people who've given less. The number is not important. But we also have this desire to own a home. And I think about when we get the, the giving statement every year and look at how much we gave each year, I'm like, oh, that would have been a down payment on a house. Whew. And every year, year after year, I look at it and go, that, that would have been a down payment, nice down payment. Well, we could maybe have bought a house by now after all the years of giving. But I'm telling you something right now. There are things that matter more than things. I would much, this is my home. This is where I get fed. 
amazing meals week after week, day after day. I'd rather live in a rental property for the rest of my life and have a healthy, thriving church where people come and their lives are changed. Something where my family is fed and my family is encouraged. I don't know what I would do without the church. I can live without owning a home the rest of my life, but I can't live without the church. That's us. I'm, I'm not saying putting any kind of pressure on anybody else. That's us. I can't live without the church. I can live, out, live without the trinkets and the nice decorations in my home and the windows that ha- are leaking or the, you know, these, the carpet that needs to be replaced. I, I can live with that. But I can't live without y'all. I don't even know where to go now. (laughs) Here's the early church's pattern. Interior, you can come. Thank you. If you look at the early church, the pattern that they lived, they did good deeds. They did a lot of good deeds in their community. They were always reaching out to the community, probably doing Christmas outreaches with Santa Claus and, you know, bringing the mayor and the chief of police to their church to, to talk to the community. Um, they were probably doing police appreciation weeks, things like that. They did good deeds. They were feeding the hungry. That's probably a lot of what they were doing. And those good deeds led to goodwill. And what goodwill is, means is that then that community that was around them that was benefiting from their good deeds started feeling good towards the church. And because they started feeling good about the church, it's kind of like what we did here. We took a Tuesday night where we didn't have a Bible study. Instead, we had the chief of police here and the mayor of the city here. And we didn't talk probably about Jesus at all during that whole hour and 15 minutes, 20 minutes that we were here, whatever it was. And some people were bothered by it because we didn't do a Bible study. But we we did the Bible instead. Instead of teaching about the Bible, we actually walked it out. We did some good deeds that night so that we can create goodwill amongst our community. And you know what goodwill does? It creates an openness to the good news. Good deeds lead to goodwill that leads to the opportunity to share the good news. Let's be the church. Let's not just talk about having church, okay? The early church believed that the three words, he is risen, were the most powerful words in the entire Bible. He is risen, is what separates Jesus from any other religion in history. If God can raise his son, the same power that defeated death can give us life. That's the whole gospel in and of itself, and it is the power that gives us hope. It resurrects hope within everyone who hears those words. He is risen is what separates Jesus from any other religion, any other teaching, any other psychology or or theology. Every other religion, everybody died, but only Jesus came back. And your hope may have died, but I'm hoping after seven weeks of talking about hope that you're letting hope resurrect within your heart. I don't care. I don't want to say I don't care, but I don't care how serious the issues are are that you're facing, there is someone greater. There is someone greater in your boat that's bigger than any problem or any storm that you're facing. Why have you lost hope? He's risen. He resurrected. He takes dead things and brings them back to life and he makes new things out of absolutely nothing. He can raise a dead marriage. He can raise dead relationships between fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. He can resurrect your dream. He can resurrect your career. He can resurrect your ministry. It is the power to let go of guilt and shame and the power to begin again. And it's the power to bounce back from a broken heart. Some people are sitting in here with a broken heart because maybe that business you dreamed for, it had to fold because of COVID-19 and because of a quarantine. 
Your dream is dead, but I'm telling you right now, the hope that revives is on the inside of you. And what it looks like right now, there's something better, even better ahead. I don't know, maybe you have to experience it to know it, but I know that I know that I know that what I'm saying is the truth because I have experienced it. It is the power to become what you were always meant to be in the first place. Romans 8, 11 tells us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it now lives in us. And it looks a little something like hope. Pastor was talking earlier about expectation. And I started thinking about as he's describing what expectation is. I'm like, expectation and hope could just be the same thing. Expectation is I know something good is about to happen and that's what hope does for us. I know every time I walk through these doors, I'm expecting something good to happen. I am hope-filled. Hope has a name. It's not a feeling. It's a person. And he is with you. He is risen are the three words that give the Christian church the the solid foundation of hope to offer to every person on the planet Are you ready to unleash some hope this week? Yeah, amen. Will you stand to your feet this morning? Hallelujah. Let's give God some praise. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word today, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I hope you got something out of this this morning. Listen, your story is not just for the benefit of yourself, so you gotta hold on to that hope because this is not the end. This is not the story you want to tell your children. If you're in the dark times right now, and if you're in the difficult times right now, this isn't the story. This isn't where you want the story to end. And the only way we keep the story going is if we stayed filled with hope. And when the story is over, that's what you get to pass on to the next generation. It's not just about passing on, you know, a financial inheritance to your children and your children's children. There's a legacy that goes far beyond and is far more valuable than any financial gain that they could receive from you. It's your story, your story of hope. A story of hope. Just like Abraham that we read. I don't know how long ago it was that Abraham was alive, but I know it was more generations than I can probably count. And yet we're still talking about his story of hope that he hoped even when it was hopeless. That's why the Bible tells us that God's ways are higher than ours because it doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm the type of person, I now will tell you my favorite saying is, I don't understand. <laughs> but I don't understand. I don't understand. Like, I have to understand it. It just drives me crazy. But you know what? I don't understand hope. But, the, but if God said it, I'm just going to be foolish enough to believe it. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast. But we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today. Or you can visit our website at tbcf.life. That's tbcf.life. Until next time, thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast.